The following podcast is brought to you by Astro Panda Productions. For more information or to find other great shows, visit astropandaproductions.com or visit the Astro Panda Productions page on blogtalkradio.com. Chaos episode number 182, Yojo Slepsky. Hey everybody, welcome back and thanks for joining us again. I am your host Jeremy and I am almost back to normal as you guys may or may not have heard. It's been kind of a rough year for me. Um, yeah, and one of the things that I've been missing since the start of the year is we were doing live episodes every Thursday with me and Paul and also our other broadcast partner, Joe Slepsky, who is also the host of the Joe on Joe podcast, where Joe talks about G.I. Joe. Um, the other day, I was trying to figure out a good reason to have Joe on, and I realized, you know what? I don't know much about G.I. Joe, so let's have Joe on <laughs> to, to school us up on G.I. Joe. So what we're going to do real quickly here, uh, after I also say thank you to my buddy Corey over at Golden Rose Tattoo here in Modesto, California, I have a new awesome uh, Lone Ranger tattoo, so the tradition of me getting pop culture tattoos continues on. Uh, this one is also a tribute to my father. So, uh, yeah, awesome tattoo, shady occasion, but we'll have a commercial, come back and meet Joe. <clears throat> All right, everybody, thanks for hanging in there. Again, I'm your host, Jeremy, and joining me this week is Joe Slepsky. What's happening, Joe? Hey, Jeremy, how you doing, buddy? Great I'm, to hear your voice. I'm doing okay, yes, good to hear from you. Uh, nice to sit and talk to you. It's been a while. Absolutely, I've been missing it. Yeah, uh, we'll have to figure out some way to get rolling on the Geekish Cast live episodes again. Sure, sure. Been missing out on a lot of comic book news because I haven't been doing that show. Well, you know, this uh, comic book wise, everything's heating up now. The summer's here. The Avengers are about to drop. Black Panther hit since I think we last spoke. Maybe like yeah. this is there's all kinds of good stuff going on. Oh yeah, Han, Han Solo's about to drop. There's it is a geek, geek, geekster's paradise going on right now. It, it really is. And, you know, and that'll kind of bring us around to what we're here to talk about this week. You and I are of a certain age where we really live through the golden age of action figures. Yep. We were young when Star Wars, He-Man, G.I. Joe, Mask, all that started rolling into the marketplace. Absolutely. Um, now, you are the host of a show called Joe on Joe. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that real quick? Well, Joe on Joe is a weekly podcast where I watch every single episode of the G.I. Joe cartoon uh, in sequential order with a guest, and we comment on it as we watch along, uh, Mystery Science Style. And we're going uh, well, well over two years now, and um, I've just started a, a new venture where we do the comic books as well. And it has been a very fun, very enlightening, uh, really, really, really rewarding experience. And you get some really awesome guests on there from time to time as well. Oh, thank you, man. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, it's I, I like to think of that show as the, the star of the show is, is, is G.I. Joe. And so sometimes our guests are friends of mine. Sometimes they're people that are in the industry. Sometimes they're people in the comic industry. I get them from all over the world, and I, I like to introduce them to G.I. Joe. That's that's my goal. So it's it's the star is G.I. Joe. So I want to introduce that to more people. Yeah. Um. You've had voice actors on there. Well, I've yep. been on there. Probably, probably yeah. the biggest get was you know me or Paul. I would imagine. But I think Paul. You yeah. know, like yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll say Paul because yeah. he's not here, right? Yeah. yeah exactly. But if I was talking to Paul, I would say it was you. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, so sure. Joe, how did you get into GI Joe? Well, um, I first found GI Joe probably it was probably for my eighth birthday. It was probably summer of '83, and it was uh, someone gave me Snake Eyes for a birthday present. And I was at um, uh, Showbiz Pizza back in Chicago, and I, rem I absolutely distinctly remember this. And I and I opened up this present and I looked at it and I was like, "What is this? I don't I don't know what this guy. Who is this guy? Like I knew Star Wars, but I don't. Is this an, an offshoot of Star Wars?" And my friend had explained it to me. He's like, "No, it's a new toy." Like, and um, I turned to my mom and I'm like, 
can we go next door to the to the venture and and see if there's more of these guys? And I remember seeing that they there was an end cap display and it was just all these dudes, these G.I. Joe guys. I'm like, I, I don't know who these guys are, but they're amazing. And that kind of started me collecting the toys. Awesome. Now, so the the G.I. Joes that you and I had growing up were not the original G.I. Joe. No, technically, the original G.I. Joe uh, was from the 60s and he was an answer to Barbie. Before we go any further, sure. The best, the best thing that anyone who's interested in actual, like, deep, detailed history of G.I. Joe can do is go to Netflix and watch the show, The Toys That Made Us. I want to say it's episode three. They do G.I. Joe, and it is. They do a wonderful, wonderful deep dive into like a lot of the facts and the details and the years and stuff. Um, my show and like my expertise kind of, kind of covers from like '82 and up. Um. But I, I also come at it more from a um, like from a love and emotional standpoint. So if, if if all this talk like triggers you and you're like, man, I really want to find out more, like how did Hasbro get the idea and all this stuff, just watch the toys that made us. It's really great. Have you had a chance to watch that show at all? I have. I absolutely have. It's wonderful. Yeah. It's, and, and I heard they got picked up for a second season, so I'm very excited. Yeah. No, and they they do a great job because they do it. Star Wars, Barbie, he, Star Wars, Barbie, He Man, and GI Joe. Yep, yep, yep. And there's Transform. I know they're doing Transformers in the second half or second season, and yeah, it's cool. Yeah, that's all right because Transformers is kind of a secondhand toy line, anyways. Oh boy, don't well, let don't let those Transformers fans hear you well, say that. No, 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 because they they grabbed a two different toy lines from Japan, mm-hmm. smashed them together, and they created a story for them. Mm-hmm. That makes yeah. it secondhand. They they wasn't yeah yeah, sure. yeah. well yeah I mean you, you you won't argue with me. I think the GI Joes are a much more personal toy line. Um, you know, there's more personality there. Uh, they they've told more stories with the Transformers because they've been they've been more popular over the years. But you know, it's I think it's it's easy it's an easy bridge to leap to say that the 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 human action figures just have more personality than the um you know than the robotic car transformer ones. You know? Oh sure, absolutely. Well then let's um we will we will kind of refocus here but I know we you and I have talked briefly about this I don't know if we've done it on any shows or anything but the genesis of GI Joe and stop me if I'm wrong that I heard of is that it was going to be Shield versus Hydra correct uh, why, yeah why don't you tell us a little bit about that and how that kind of so, kicked off so two there's two there's two things were happening simultaneously one Hasbro was retooling their idea for GI Joe they they had GI Joe and he was an 8 inch large Barbie-esque figure um in the 70s they moved away from the military aspect and they they moved him into what's called the adventure team mm-hmm. so it would be like GI Joe going uh, like on a camping expedition or a hunting or a hiking or you know going to the moon things like that and the rising cost of plastics kind of forced everything to get smaller they weren't able to afford you know a, a doll that that would be that large and then the popularity of the star wars toys being three and three quarter inch they said let's let's try to tap into that so they started working on a new version of gi joe at the same time over at marvel comics larry hama who was an editor at marvel he was working on a concept called fury force and fury force would have been just that it would have been nick fury a team like kind of like the howling commandos but a special missions operation team that would have taken on Hydra. Well, when Hasbro, uh, someone over at Hasbro got the idea to, hey, let's do a comic book tie-in because there were a lot of laws around promoting toys to kids right. at the time. So they had the thought of doing a cartoon for it and a comic book for it to kind of help promote the toy without promoting the toy. So when they went to Marvel, you know, someone knew somebody over at Marvel and it passed it it bounced around marvel and it and ended up in larry's lap and they said hey larry you got this idea for this fury force why don't you layer that onto whatever this gi joe would become and that's the origins of gi joe so all so there's like there's elements of of cobra that are really ripped out of hydra and and there's like a lot of the early in the comic books a lot of the early designs of vehicles that the Cobra was flying around in were totally like Steranko esque shield vehicles, you know, and this is before the toy line expanded to where there were enough actual toys to draw in the comic book. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the first year where there was like a Fang helicopter and that's it. So you see all these influences of this like Steranko y shieldy kind of team, but that's what became G.I. Joe. And then they asked, they went on further to ask Larry to write all the file cards for the actual toys themselves. 
so he became like the godfather, the 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 chief progenitor of all things GI Joe. And what I find interesting about that is because you're you're pointing out the visibility of the comic book elements in there, but for me, the first generation of GI Joe toys were much more military than what would come later. You're, you're exactly right. Yeah, exactly right. And that's those those toys were the ones that were being produced um, almost wholly by Hasbro without the influence of the comic book. So that was that was their designers going, we're making a straight military outfit. So when you look at the first, uh, like, was it 13 or 12 or 13? They're all drab green, you know, with different variations on buckles and belts and, and, and web belts and ammo belts, with the exception of Scarlet, of course. They don't put her in the green. They give her like a, um, I don't know what you would call that, like a, like a, almost like a swimsuit thing over like black, um, like ace, a black body belt bodysuit. Yeah. And the, the, the coolest, the coolest bit of trivia that I, that, uh, that came out of for me for watching, um, the toys that made us was that Snake Eyes, who would go on to become lit, hands down the most popular character, uh, they've made like over a hundred action figures of him. The reason Snake Eyes is all black is because they ran out of money to do a paint job on it. So they just remodeled or they just, uh, cast in plastic. A, a, a black plastic a character and call them snake eyes so he's not painted that's and wild he, yeah he ends up becoming the most popular one and they and they did it because they ran out of budget because there was um they talk about it in the show there, there was a specific thing they wanted to do with 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 some of the line and in order to do it they had to pull money out of the figures and so they pulled it out of the paint job for snake eyes and you get the most popular character of all time yeah, I remember, because, you know, before the cartoon came out, we didn't really know much besides the cards about these characters. Oh, no, not at all. And, and even when the cartoon came out, you know, the cartoon was its own continuity. Cartoon focused yes. on entirely different characters and uh, different scenarios. You know, Snake Eyes, again, not to always harp on him, he's always my favorite. It's kind of an easy win, but um, he's barely on the cartoon. Right, because he because he's mute, so they don't they didn't know what to do with him in animation. He's not even on the cover of the first issue of the comic book. They have every single other Joe Joe shown. They don't show Snake Eyes on the cover of GI Joe number one. Well, he was kind of their Wolverine breakout character too. He was totally their Wolverine breakout character. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Because I remember, like on the file card, if I remember right, it was just like, oh yeah, he's a commando, and mm-hmm. me and most of my me and my most of my friends were like having to go to our grandpa's and go like, hey. What's a commando? Yeah, and then like two years later, the, the Schwarzenegger movie Commando would come out. Yeah. And you're like, that's what a commando is. Oh, and now I get it. But of oh, course, by it. then, he was starting to become a ninja. That's true. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's say with the first generation for a few more minutes here, what, yeah. in your opinion, would be like, besides Snake Eyes, since we've already covered him, sure, sure. what are some of the standout characters that you remember from the first generation of G.I. Joe? Well, so for the toys, and there's there are these three different continuities. So there's the toys, there's the cartoon, and then there's the comic book, right? So for toys, for me, I came in a little bit later. I came in like the second year. So for for a toy player, the only growing up, the only characters I had I had Breaker, Snake Eyes, Rock and Roll, Scarlet, and Grunt. Okay. I didn't have I didn't have any of the other uh, Joes. I didn't have the vehicles from the first row, like first series. I didn't have that. But in the comic book, they all were featured. And like I love Clutch in the comic book, but I didn't have him as a toy. Um, Steeler is awesome in the comic book, but I didn't have it as a toy. And I didn't read those comics till later. Um, I think some of the standout sculpts of the first series, a Stalker, I think is a standout one that they they were prescient enough. They had an African American on the team. Um, they also made him different. They gave him the full camo instead of just the olive drab. Um, the clutch figure looks amazing because he's got this um, web belt pattern on his chest that just stay, makes him stand out with a black holster. Um, rock and roll is great, too, because, I mean, what's cooler than just two giant belts of ammunition strapped across a guy's chest and then you give him an M60 that's amazingly large? Like, that's fantastic. Okay, see, I'm right now. I am on the site you sent me to yojo.com, just kind of yeah. looking at that first generation. Yep. And I had more of these guys than I realized because I'm looking at it now, going, "Oh, I remember having that one and that one." Now, you know what I did, like, kind of right off the bat about uh, Cobra mm-hmm. palette swap characters. Yeah. 
even in the first wave, they're like, okay, here's the dude who's got the red Cobra, and here's the dude with the silver Cobra. So now you got completely mm-hmm. different trooper types. Yep. Yep. Cobra officer and then the regular Cobra. You're exactly right. Yeah. And, they, and what I love, too, is right away they started doing mail-ins. The first Cobra commander was a mail-in. So that was, you know, you, if you collected enough um, flag points, which were on the back of the toy, you cut them out and send in. I don't, I don't exactly know what the first, what the amount was, but send in, you know, thirty flag, thirty-five flag points, and and two ninety-nine for shipping, and you get yourself a Cobra Commander. I mean, that's fantastic. That's so much. That's so. That's such forethought into the toy line. And that was something learned from the uh, the Star Wars figures. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, they they put so everything about GI Joe was collectible slash playable slash enjoyable you got the figure right but then the file card that he's on the front not only has gorgeous artwork on it and i mean beautiful artwork on the front but the back has a file card that'll tell you what this guy's name is what his specialty is he give you you know, give you quotes about the guy so there's there's stuff you can learn about him on the back then you had the flag points that you could cut out and save, you know, in this case with Cobra Commander, but later on there would be a whole bunch of other stuff to buy. Uh, and then you had premier uh, right, uh, promo pictures. So you also had, hey, also in this wave, here's a picture of this character and that character and that character and that character. And when you go over to the vehicles, the vehicles themselves, whether they meant to or not, the vehicles were, I'm sure it was a, a matter of production. It was cheaper to just produce an uncompleted vehicle and ship it to you with here's four wheels, here's the base, here's the bottom, and then here's a set of instructions to put it together. I'm sure it's for cost, but essentially you were buying a model kit and I was a big model kit guy. So I loved getting the vehicles and and putting them together like a model. And then there was, and then there were stickers on top of that. So then you decorated them with stickers. So like there was all these levels of play that came from the toys and from the figures that just, it, it made it made getting anything GI Joe just this multiple level of enjoyment. Yeah, that's kind of wild. So, um, I, I kind of my death uh, my Star Destroyer from Star. See, for me, Star Wars will always be the penultimate or ultimate toy line. Right. Uh, I know several people who, from filmmakers to all sorts of different disciplines, divide the world into pre-Star Wars and post-Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um. I remember putting together like the Star Destroyer and you put all the pieces together and put the stickers on. Yeah. But I was trying to remember what the other, you know, the other ones were pretty well put together, like for for the most part, at least not like GI Joe. Um, The GI Joe vehicles like legit were, I still have the, um, I still have my blueprints. I sold years ago uh, just for space purposes. I sold most of my actual trucks or the, the actual vehicles. But the the file the, the the blueprints that came with them the instructions were incredibly incredibly complex. Like if you screwed up, you had to buy almost sometimes buy a new toy. Oh wow! Yeah, wow. because it was it was and it was to keep the cost down, and they could make these more intricate things. Star Wars generally came. There were stickers you would apply, but for the most part, you know, if you bought a land speeder, that land speeder was put together. You would slide the seat in, and you would put the um like the clutch in. But like everything was put, the, the Falcon, everything was put together. You might crack the the lid. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. you would put stickers on them. But the GI Joe toys were actual. You actually had to put them together piece by piece. That's yeah. See, and I didn't remember that about it. That's that's a really good point about playability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Um, so we'll kind of we'll kind of breeze through some of the toys because we still need to cover cartoons, movies, and comic books here. But well, it's, um, a, it's a five-parter, right? Yeah. Well, so and I, I want to go to I want to go to Wave 2 because it, of course, has what I consider to be one of the coolest figures right off the bat in there, and that would be Destro. Yes. Because we didn't know anything about Destro. Oh. Destro, if, if Snake Eyes was Wolverine, Destro was Boba Fett. You're exactly right. Wave 2, for my money, this is when the influence of Marvel Comics kicked in, for real. You look at Wave Two, which is, uh, you know, Airborne, Destro, Doc, Gung Ho, Major Blood, Snow Job, Torpedo, um, Tripwire, all these guys. The only one here that would be a holdover, I, and I think he actually might have been a design holdover, was Tripwire. That he looks like he belongs to the first group. Everyone else is absolutely distinct and unique in their own. They've got their own color palette. They they're not wearing the standard greens. 
their you know major blood is one it, the blood and destro th- the fact that they're just new cobra they're not just faceless cobra soldiers they're right. new mercenaries that work for cobra and all that these are really really influenced by the stuff that that larry hama and marvel comics brought to the table yeah destro's fantastic i just literally just finished recording the podcast so i do joe on joe which is um, that's my weekly uh, podcast that goes everywhere, focus on the comic strip. But we started a Patreon recently. And if, if you're interested at all, please go to patreon.com slash Joe on Joe pod. And over there, I'm doing a Patreon exclusive Joe on Joe illustrated comic, uh, comic podcast. And we're, we're doing, we're applying the same kind of every episode, you know, minute by minute look to the comic book. So I'm going issue by issue, page by page. And breaking down the things that I know about comics and things we can learn about them. And I literally just did, uh, right before we went on, I did uh, uh, G.I. Joe number 11, which was the introduction of Destro. And they never even show you Destro. Like it's He is he's in it a lot. He even has a fight with Doc. And they never show his face in the issue. It was such a tease. You just see his body. You see the missiles on his arms. You see the hand grenades. You see he's very capable and he talks and, and he meets Cobra Commander and, and Baroness, but they never show us. They save the face reveal until the next issue. It's great. That's pretty cool. It's like uh, a well-done Team DC book. They never show Batman until you have to. He's yes. just kind of a presence that hangs out. Yes, that's, you're exactly right. That's how Morrison dealt with the JLA. You're totally right. Yeah. Batman would show up when needed. And and that's what Destro was in this issue. It was, it was really cool because I haven't read some of these earlier ones. I haven't read them in a long time, and I completely forgot that that's how they introduced Destro. It's great. Yeah, that's cool. So this is where the comic book really starts to show. Um, this is also where the characters that were going to headline the cartoon series come in. Um, yeah. I do want to go down to Duke real quick just to point He's out that. Very important. Yep. yep. Mail-in character. Yep. And he came with a uh, a sail, sailing surfboard. He did. Yeah. Yes, he did. Yep. He came with the. Nothing says post-Vietnam American soldier. <laughs> like that. Hey, well, listen, man. What did we learn from Apocalypse Now? Charlie don't surf. Charlie don't surf, man. Yeah. 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 Were there two different major bloods in this period? Was there a mail-in and a carded? Or really there the... was, there was, there was a mail-in and a carded. I don't think there was anything uh, different about it. Okay. I think, I think they just offered it differently. That some of the um, like that yojo.com, uh, 3D Joes is another great website that has um, like three-dimensional views of all these characters. There's so many like little intricate, like little like. You, little tweaks that they did over the years they like this card then they changed the card for 1985 it had a subtle difference to it all that stuff is real real collector minutia um and you know best best found on the website yeah so then i'm going to jump up here to series three real quick because there's a couple characters in here that one for personal reasons uh and another just for pop culture reasons but okay. in many ways if the 70s were the era of Bruce Lee and Kung Fu, yep. the 80s were the era of the ninja. Totally. And ninjutsu. Um, the first character I want to talk about real quick, though, now, I, I, I don't talk about this a whole lot. When I was a little kid, my parents were semi-involved in the American Indian movement in a periphery area. I had um, subscriptions to a magazine called The We Wish Tree. I was six years old before I realized I was white. <laughs> um, were they showing Billy Jack on a loop? Oh, dude, you have no idea how much that is my favorite movie. <laughs> I, I am it. dead serious. I have a Billy Jack poster. <laughs> I was great. I was kind of getting friendly with Tom Laughlin on Facebook the year he died. Oh, uh, no, she, she just passed away. She though. did. That was I was yeah. upset to see that. Um, yeah, that was like, not great movies, but so much spirit and so much yeah. belief in their own ability to just jump in and do. Yes. It's incredible stuff. Um, but I do remember as a probably 11 or 12 year old, I received the character spirit, mm-hmm. which I thought was really cool, really awesome. And then I read the card. <laughs> Holy cow. So I threw the box away. Oh, oh no. Just, I, I didn't realize how many Native American, uh, what, what do you even call those? Just, stereotypes can be put into yeah. a paragraph and a half Fam- family so far below the poverty line that they never realized they were poor. Yeah. Yeah. And well, 
Yeah. And, well, and to be fair, times were very tough though for Native Americans in this country. Right. So, and in I Canada, mean, is it but... is it is it being is it being you know honest or is it be, you know what I mean like not you know what I'm saying like is yeah. he is he trying to not avoid some of the issues that were going on or is it being you know yeah that that was the thing I just remember when I read it I was like holy cow this thing's got to go yeah yeah and then of course I, they they had to give him magic too which is another thing I get a little bit like squicky about yeah you know? I you know it, it's it it was a different time I always liked spirit quite a bit oh no I think he's an awesome character yeah it's just I, when I look at some of the the I don't even know what you call him just the the goofballs they hang on him you know yeah he's got the he's got the bird that he talks to eagle or the eagle uh, yeah. which is freedom yeah I, I don't know like if you so let's see. So let's see. Actually, um, Airborne. Let's go back to Airborne. Airborne um, was uh, he was Native American. His name is uh, Franklin Talltree, and there his parents were oil rich Navajos. So he's kind of like they did a Native American, but a non stereotypical. Yeah, yeah. Right. And that was before. So now it was, hey, let's do another one and let's kind of lean into, you know, let's kind of lean into the the look. I don't know. It's 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 yeah, it's I don't know. It, it's tough to it's tough to put a modern lens even. But it doesn't sound like you were even doing a modern lens. It sounds like in the moment you were you were offended by it, which is which is a credit to you, quite frankly. Oh, yeah. But again, you know, for for a white kid, I was awfully sensitive to those things, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so that was, that was definitely a character that stood out to me. Of course, Baroness comes in, in this, in this oh, iteration. She's great. Yep. Uh, we also get a, uh, uh, oh, darn it. I'm going to forget his name now. The, the, the chameleon dude. Oh, Zartan. He's the Zartan. best. Zartan. All of a sudden I'm, I'm reaching for his name going Tomax and Zaymot's boss. Oh, they're, they're about to show up. Yeah. Oh no, not he wasn't their boss. He was his own boss. He was his own man. So this is important. This is an important thing to point out. Um, so, well, one, they never really made as many Cobra mercenaries as they did G.I. Joe's. They eventually got into like doing different types of Vipers and different types of soldiers for Cobra. Mm-hmm. But the but they for, as, as I'm going through this stuff and, and, and rehashing it on our show, I always wish that they had more actual personality characters like Zartan and Baroness because there would be like two or three and then there'd be Viper, Viper, Viper. Um but one important thing to note in the hierarchy of Cobra is we move along and, and see who joined him and everything. Cobra Commander believed in what he built. Baroness believed in what Cobra Commander built. Everyone else were mercenaries. Everyone else were not. We, we, well, actually, with the exception of uh, Serpentor, who they literally built to run Cobra. But everyone else was motivated by greed. They were all people that Cobra Commander hired to join the team, with the exception, obviously, of the Cobra troops. I was just going to ask about that. Now, where, if you could just give us a quick a quick version of this, where did Cobra Commander recruit uniformed troops from? Okay, so there's a couple different... Uh, okay, so in the comic... Well, I'll go with the comic book version, because that's actually the most kind of realistic way. Okay. He started out as a... Um, used car salesman I'm with you so far. And he started, uh, and actually in, in one of the early issues, they say specifically, uh, the soap salesman came to town and he started selling soap and soon selling soap became community watchdog meetings and community watchdog meetings soon came, became to, you know, like, let's just throw it out there, like make America great again, kind of meetings. And that's kind of the rise of Cobra commander. So he was like a used car salesman who wanted more out of life. And, this sounds and kind of familiar. That's what I'm saying. I, I'm not even saying that to get currently political, but the rise of Cobra Commander very much parallels the kind of chicanery and the kind of life that a certain, you know, orange-faced, you know, cotton-headed ninny muffins led before he, he got into office. Huh. Um, and so that's, that's the, that zealotry. That's how he built it. So his soldiers come from instead of cobra insignias i i and i i'll just say it put on red make america great again hats you know 
or it's, or it's, to use what they I'm sure they were originally using though, but we'll just say brown shirts and armbands. Right, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly yeah, and and I truly don't mean that to to get political, but that's the, the, that kind of zealotry that we've seen over the last two years here. That's the zealotry that that they used that Hama was writing about in 1983, 1982 with Cobra. Those are the people that said, yeah, you're right. Uh, the government isn't you know, isn't looking out for me. My way of life is shrinking. Um, you know, these people are taking my jobs, this and that and the other, I'm going to sign up with, with this guy who says he can solve it all. And that's literally, that's the origin of Cobra. Um, in the cartoon, it was a little more, you know, it was a little sillier, you know, it was a little, just, they randomly have these armies and you know, whatever. So it's really the comic book that dug into the, um, the origins of it. And that's, that's kind of where it came from. So would you say the cartoon origin is a little more cartoony? I, I would. I okay. mean, technically, technically, the cartoon origin is Cobra Law, which was it was what they revealed oh. in, the, in the movie. Um, we'll yeah. uh, we'll uh, yeah. we'll come to that in a oh, minute yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> or never. Yeah. So let's um let's uh, just kind of wrap up with my my observations and thoughts on series three. Uh, <clears throat> Storm Shadow. Love him. Yeah. I love him. He's great. I remember my sister used some of my Joes for some kind of diorama or something in like fifth grade or fourth grade. And she used storm shadow and, and she came home and she goes, here's your, here's, here's your figures back. I was like, thanks. And I looked and you know, I'm a, I'm a, I am who I am. So I immediately noticed that there's one missing and I go, where's storm shadow. She was like, I don't know. Like where he was, they were all there. I'm like, what happened to my storm shadow? And some, uh, some, uh, can we swear? Are we, are we yeah, swearing? yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Some, some little asshole in her grade and she's two years older than me some uh some little asshole stole my storm shadow out of her diorama and my mom was so pissed and she's like you go to school and you find out who stole his storm shadow and you get it back two days later she comes back with it that's awesome (laughs) um we're gonna kind of gloss over the next few releases while there are some cool characters in there we start getting more and more colorful and more and more cartoony well, I gotta say, so for me, yeah. 80, 85 was oh, okay. it for me. Well, let's, let's, let's cover not, that yeah, then. But yeah, yeah, let's 85 cover that. Five was eighty five. I was ten years old. To me, this is the height. This is the pinnacle of GI Joe. It's got the best Snake Eyes sculpt. It's the version two Snake Eyes where he's got the the grenade belt and he came with timber. Um, they've introduced shipwreck. You've got the the dreadnoughts to to hang out with Zartan, uh, Lady J, Flint, who is amazing. Alpine and Bazooka, um, Blowtorch, or I'm sorry, Barbecue, Blowtorch is later, Dusty, so you got a G.I. Joe with like a cloth desert thing hanging off the back of his helmet, just awesome. The Cobra Eel, the underwater Cobra guy, came with the cool, like came with web, uh, what do you call it, the thing for your feet, like oh, paddles. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, whatever you call it, that, plus hoses that attach to his backpack. Airtight, he also came with like a hose backpack thing. He had the snow serpent, which is the Cobra snow guy. He had snowshoes and everything. The the Crimson Twins, they had like repelling lines that they could swing from. You know, it's I'm funny. Not, uh, so you, this you pointed this. Well, you pointed this out just a second ago. I was confusing Tomax and Zaymont with the Dreadnoughts. Oh, okay. That's what I was doing. Yeah. That's why I was all like, wait a minute. I thought they were. Oh, these guys. Never mind. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Ripper, Buzzer, and Torch, who are awesome. They're great. And they were they were great on the show. Um, yeah, it's, I, I love it. Like it's, this is this year. These are for me, for my money, this is the best stuff. Now this would also be about the same year that the cartoon or at least the mini series for the cartoon came out, right? This is the second mini series. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So the first mini series debuted in, in 1982. Uh, and it was, um, it was primarily the first and second iterations of the team. Uh, then the second mini series came out and it was, um, and they, uh, it was introduced. It was still actually it was still kind of the same group from the first one. And then the third one came out, which was, uh, which was in 85. Yeah. So the first, the first miniseries that was in 1983 and that was the mass device. And that dealt with, uh, Cobra being able to teleport their soldiers anywhere around the world. And that dealt primarily with the first two seasons of Cobra, right? Uh, and those five episodes, they aired in September of 83. And then it wasn't until uh, September of 84 that the second uh, miniseries came by and it was called The Revenge of Cobra. 
And that introduced Flint and Lady J and Spirit and Shipwreck and Mutt and a lot of these guys that were from Series 3. and ser- So, like, the 84, 85 groups. It was, like, half and half. Okay. Uh, and then the fi- the third and final, like, big miniseries that they did was called The Pyramid of Darkness, which that was my personal favorite one. Uh, and that aired in September of 85. So they did one miniseries each year. And in September of 85, they um, after that miniseries ended, it then launched into the regular ongoing TV show. And the, the regular ongoing TV show, that dealt with um, – Character-wise, that had Flint, Lady J. Like, Scarlet and Duke were the main stars of the first two miniseries, and then it kind of quickly shifted to Flint and Lady J as far as, like, the romantic leads. And then at that point, the Dreadnoughts were major on it and Shipwreck and all that stuff. Okay. Yeah, I'm kind of having to let my brain recess a little bit into this. Like, I definitely watched all this stuff. But this is also hitting to the point in my life where I first quit playing with toys and didn't start again until I was well into my twenties. Right, know? right, yeah. right. Um, you know, when you, when you, it's it's best when you have kids because then you're like, I can buy whatever the frick I want. You can't <laughs> tell me I can't play with them. Um, well, it, it's funny. Well, so it's funny you say that. So in '86, I was turning 11 and I was you know starting junior high, and the, the Joe figures were getting a little more neon. Right. That's yeah. that's what I like to him as the neon phase and and i am a big fan of the 86 stuff there's a lot of really cool stuff that came out of it um he's silly but dr mindbender uh general hawk was a fantastic figure Leatherneck, neck second version of roadblock um i actually really like the the uh, monkey wrench the dreadnought like there were some cool cool things happening in 86 but they also introduced like sci-fi who i like but he's in like neon green and then as you keep going in the next year, now all of a sudden there's two guys that, that are in neon green. You know, they introduce Psych Out and there's Chuckles and all this stuff. And it's just getting there's, you know, more there's just crazier colors. And and then you get to 88 and it's a little bit kind of too much. Hold on. I got to I got to I got to stop. Let's go back to 87 for just a second. Okay. Sorry. sorry. So, no, 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 no. Because, you know, what? I was going to blow past all of these. But now that you've uh, shown, shown a spotlight upon them. Yeah. Let's just uh, take our shirts off and get geeky here. Well, yeah, well, there, yeah. there's good stuff in all these. But it was for me, it was it was like, OK, I'm going to have to start putting this stuff away at one point. Yeah. And the, the shift towards more ninjas and more neon, it, it, it helped kind of push things for me. Yeah, girls become a lot more interesting when all you have are crappy toys. Very true. Very yeah, true. yeah. So let me, I'm, I, I got to focus on the Cobra Commander here for a second. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, well, you know, and, and you're going to have to help me along on my recollection a bit, but so Cobra Commander originally comes out. He's got kind of the powder blue suit, but it's still kind of cool. And the silver face shield, which is pretty rad, right? Right. When did hooded, hooded Cobra Commander come along? So Hooded Cobra Commander was uh, a mail away. Okay. And and that was in um, 84, 85, 84. Okay. Hooded Cobra Commander was a mail away. And he actually f- was in the comic book first. They drew him with the hood in the comic book. And they drew him with the face mask. They did both. But they didn't make the actual figure until 84. Okay. Because Hooded Cobra Commander is pretty badass. Hooded Cobra Commander is amazing. That's yeah. the only version I had. I did have the, the spacesuit Cobra Commander. But the hooded one was the the regular one that I had. I never had a face shield Cobra Commander actually until quite recently. Um, yeah. Uh, well, I, I think we as kids, too, just due to the pop culture around us, I think because of Darth Vader, we had an assumption that if your face was covered. Oh, yeah. It, it looked like a dog attacked a pizza under there, you know? Oh, sure. Well, and, it's funny. So, yeah. Well, the, uh, on, the, on the cartoon, there's a scene where Destro walks in on Cobra Commander and Cobra Commander's finishing eating. Mm-hmm. And Destro's repulsed by it. And he's just like, oh, God, like, what did I just see? But yeah. in the comic book, he wasn't wearing it because he was deformed. He was wearing it because he is every man. He could be anyone. He could be the guy sitting next to you on the bus. He could be your boss. He could be, you know, he could be anyone in society. And that's how dangerous Cobra was. But the cartoon tended to lean a little more into the more visceral, you know, and eventually in the movie, they made him like part snake, and so that would snake that would man. Yeah, that yeah. would explain why he was a little gross. I personally like the comic book version, where he was only wearing it because I could be. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, and I, you know, and we, I think we all kind of get like there's an A, B, and C canon for everything. You know, like for guys our age, like He Man is a barbarian wandering around the wasteland with you know sword and things that give him yeah. powers, and Castle Grayskull is like this Cthulhu esque thing. Right. Guys, ten years younger than us, he's Prince Adam. You know, yep. it's it's a whole different thing. And I, I think what it would probably be safest to say is that if you're our age, the cartoon may not be your primary go-to canon. The comic book might be. But if you're just a year or two younger than me or you, well, let's say you because you're a little bit younger than me. If you're just a couple years younger than you, the cartoon's going to be your A canon and everything else will be B and C canon. Oh, yeah. So and yeah. even in the and even in the cartoon, it's funny there. Um, there's hierarchy. So I don't I don't know how aware you are of this, but the original, the first we'll call it two seasons. It was it's like sixty or I'm sorry, it's closer to. Well, with the with the miniseries, it's like ninety four episodes, right? Mm-hmm. They were they were produced by a company called Sunbow Sunbow Marvel, and they were animated overseas, but they were. Pretty, they, there was a lot of money put into it. Like the, the, the cart, the, the, the actual regular everyday episodes of G.I. Joe look really, really good. They put a ton of money into the movie and it looks amazing, but the everyday episodes do look pretty good. Uh, at that point around 88 when they were, the movie came out in 87. So they stopped making regular cartoons for the, for the toy line and they said, okay, the toy line was starting to fade a little bit. We don't want to spend as much money and they farmed it out. They farmed production out to, they put out a bid. And a company called DIC came in. And in the industry, they referred to it as do it cheap. And so the, quote, third season of G.I. Joe, which started in like 89, 90, is terrible. And it's made really cheaply. And it's the voice acting is all non-union Canadian voice actors with a couple exceptions. Uh, and it's it's rough. It's rough to, to watch those after you see these really, really good, you know, Sunbow stuff. So even within that, what you were talking about of some fans like this, some fans like that, there's even the shift of, oh, uh, yeah, but then the DSCs were terrible. But then you meet someone who grew up on the DSCs and they're like, they're not that bad. So we're in the middle of the DSCs right now on my show. And I'm finding that they're not as bad as I remember, but they're just not as good. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, and sometimes don't let. Was it don't let perfect be the enemy of good? Yes. You know, yep. just because yeah, you're something right. you liked a little better, don't don't write off something that's almost yeah. as good but not quite there. Yeah. You're totally right. Except when you get to the episode where um uh Metalhead's grandma visits from Europe and her tactics help defeat the G.I. Joe team. Yeah. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say that's the enemy of good. So is she into Swedish or Norwegian metal? Um I, I think it sounded German. She sounded oh, okay. she, she had a little bit of German in her. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's called Granny Dearest. It's terrible. Oh my lord! So let's let I, you gotta you gotta walk me through this one. So, uh, uh, 1987, series six. Okay. What the holy cup of Jehoshaphat's happened to Cobra Commander here? Well, um, is he a scuba man? What is this? Okay, so this is his battle armor. Um, the the origins of the design, I actually don't. No, but I can give you the origins in the comic and I can give you the origins in the sh- on the TV show. On the TV show, he like I don't know who thought this was would be a great design for a toy because it's crazy. It is absolutely crazy. Um, but he um, in the cartoon in the movie, he was turned into a, an actual snake. And then when they when they started the DIC episodes, they did another five parter. And in that five parter, he got turned back to being human, but he wasn't all the way human. He was still very snaky. And he gets put into this battle armor. Now, they don't explicitly say that it's like to kind of give him life support because he's kind of snaky. Okay, but that's kind of the accepted rationale behind it, that now he's he's no longer as human as he used to be. So this this body armor will do it. In the comic books, he was presumed dead, and he um, he was presumed. Uh, oh, I'm, my my brain may may give a little bit of false information, but he was presumed dead, and someone took his place. And when they took his place, one of the Freds, one of the Cobra Crimson Guardsmen, when they took his place, they took it in this uniform, okay, so that it would uh, mask his voice and everything, like so you wouldn't necessarily be able to tell that's a completely different guy in there. Gotcha. And that's that's the origin in the in the in the um, in the book. 
Well, you know, and let's face it, most palette swaps are refreshes of design or new designs. It's just the right. Batman sell more toys edition is really what. You're yeah, that, it's about. totally what it is. And and I mean, to be fair, it's not the worst. It's just it's it's got a lot of crazy edges that like for edges for edges sake, like it's yeah. it's pouches before like two years before image would start putting pouches on everywhere. Like he's just got he's just got flares and and and, and squares and and jagged pieces of armor that's like what they but, just don't really make sense no it doesn't yeah. but it did have a it did have a uh, mouthpiece that that uh, detached from his head and that was always exciting well that's kind of cool well yeah. since since we're starting to run down on time here why don't you give us some little some some uh, concepts or ideas of the differences between comics and the cartoon series that we may or may not know about or little things little tidbits that you can throw at us well, the, I think uh, let me think. So the, the the biggest difference between those two continuities, uh, from a character relationship perspective, was the cartoon they uh, romantically paired up Scarlet with Duke, but in the comic book, Snake Eyes, who was this disfigured loner mercenary murderer, he was actually in love with Scarlet, and they were uh, they were in love together. Like she was absolutely in love with Snake Eyes, and that was. An, an, in the comic it was an amazing story because it, it one it spanned the whole series like to this day like it's still in a, a factor in the series but you got to see like this this guy he can't speak his face is hideous because uh you know it, they explained in his origin he took a blast he was rescuing her from a helicopter that was about to crash and he took a blast of exhaust uh, explosion in the face in order to save her um and it's this touching romance between these this woman and this damaged damaged man on many levels. He's Snake Eyes is so damaged. And then you turn the show on and you just see her with the blonde, all American jock, yeah. and you're like, oh, Snake Eyes is much more interesting. Well, and then Snake Eyes becomes a ninja. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, he's well. It's funny they when they first hinted at his origin in um, uh, it's issue number ten of the comic book. He's not at all a ninja yet, but or at least like revealed to be, but they do hint that he studied with a bunch of martial artists. And that's the first time that they kind of tease that, Oh, maybe this, this dude all in black trained in the far East. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's pretty early in the run. It's like issue 10. Um, but yeah, you're right. He doesn't like get the swords and stuff until a little later. I think one of the other going along the snake eyes tip there because snake eyes, uh, was, was mute. He wasn't really used much on the show. So instead of Storm, but they wanted to use Storm Shadow because Storm Shadow was fantastic. So they actually made Spirit, the aforementioned Spirit. He was Storm Shadow's main adversary on a few of the episodes. They would pair them up. And so it kind of made like Spirit this ninja character because they were both like these spiritual warriors who, you know, these monk like warriors who had to fight and they had to fight with honor and everything. But that, so Spirit took Snake Eyes' place in the canon for that. Now, do we know was what tribe? Do we know what tribe Spirit was supposed to be in? Yeah, um, they they say it on the card. I think um, I don't remember, but Air, Airborne said that he was Navajo um, Spirit um, Shaman. They did on the show. They okay. they definitely they they've they've identified it, and I know they've identified it in the comic. It's not you know you know what would have been an awesome background for him, an atheist Apache. Oh, he, that would have been cool. Yeah, because you know Apaches were kind of like oh, the closest thing the Americas had to a ninja. They were yeah silent, moved quick, covered the desert grounds, and slit your throat before you knew what, you, what was happening. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, I think another thing that that is everyone knows about it, but it's but it, you can't state it enough is that how much the show was a driver to sell the toys. Oh yeah, and and they even figured out a way to promote the show in the commercial breaks. So. They, they, G.I. Joe was one of the very few comics in the history of comic books to have regular, fully functional, fully animated cartoons for the comic book. So you would watch, you would watch the cartoon, and when they'd go to commercial, you would then get a commercial advertisement for the comic G.I. Joe. And technically, they were allowed to do that under the law because they weren't advertising the toy. They were advertising a book. So you were getting hit with G.I. Joe comic book advertisements in the middle of your G.I. Joe half-hour toy advertisement. And if you go back and watch some of their – they're all on YouTube. If you go back and watch the G.I. Joe card, uh, comic book ads, they're fantastic. They're animated by Sunbow, and they're 
awesome and they illustrate the actual events of the comic books it just this gorgeous animation it's fantastic oh, and cool. they're like they're like this summer for marvel comics blah, 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 blah. yeah that's Great. really cool I, I don't know that i ever saw those or if i did i never paid attention to them yeah um and that was all their way around the law so they could keep pumping gi joe into your eyeballs for a half hour oh yeah well and that's the thing too is that this he-man all these things they will tell you now everybody involved now will tell you Oh yeah, well, all we were doing was making a toy commercial. Oh, totally. Yeah, they'll they'll fest to it now, but man, they had when TV was still regulated the way it used to be. They had all the answers. Of, oh no, we have an educational section here. Yeah. And we, we well, don't. you know, a lot of that came from a guy named Lou Scheimer over who, at Filmation. Uh, over at Filmation, yeah. yeah. And and I've seen he's passed, but I've seen interviews with him where I think he actually was very earnest about that. You know what? I I think you're right. I think Lou Scheimer believed what he was saying. 100%. I think I think everybody around him was like going, you know, if I cash this check right now. <laughs> and he created the first syndicated cartoon. That's what He-Man was. He-Man was sold as a set of 60-some episodes in a chunk and to, you know, two different stations across the country. And first, with, you mean first-run syndication? First-run syndication, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, first-run syndication where they sold it as you could, it could air on this channel here and that channel there. Well, but here's, here's going to be 60 episodes. You're going to run it five days a week. And he's, he specifically wanted to put in, now you know, and knowing is half the battle, that's the G.I. Joe slogan. Yeah. But they're doing what He-Man was doing two years prior. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, you know, it's funny to me. And I, 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 oh, I'm going to lose this thought now. Gosh dang. My dog just walked in the room as I was saying, you know, it's funny to me. Ah, I lost it, Joe. I okay. completely lost it. Darn it. Well, I'm leaving this in just to reproach oh, myself. It. Yeah. Do it. Well, you know, uh, speaking of those PSAs, there, um, we did a five part breakdown of those, my wife and I, and we watched all of them, at least all the ones that we could find on YouTube. I think there were some that we missed, but I couldn't find them because they've never really collected them on any of the DVDs. They'll show up at like, like they'll, they'll include like three or four of them on the box set, but they never included all of them. I don't, I don't exactly understand why, but they are absolutely crazy and not even the ones that were kind of retooled uh, in the early days of the internet, a guy named Fenster kind of re-edited them mm-hmm. and made some very, very funny ones. And they're, they're very funny, but the original ones just on their own are crazy. Like m- grown ass men, soldiers hanging out in kids houses, like to, to tell them to stop taking their parents drugs. And it's like, what are you doing in my house? Like, yeah, that's, that's not okay. No, just, crazy moments some of them are actually more legit you know like guys driving by in the street and he sees a kid in trouble he's like hey man let me help you but some of them are just like wow or there's uh i remember there's one where uh some kids are swimming and i think it's deep six comes out of this pond as if he were underwater watching these children from underwater it's like what that is gross and creepy all right, so I got to know what is every everything has this, but what would you consider, or what is widely considered to be the dark age of GI Joe? Okay, well, um, we we actually we're kind of in one now for sure, but I think if you're talking about the early the original run, so GI Joe ran GI Joe ran until uh, I want to say ninety three ninety four. Okay, and and ninety four is when they stopped. Ninety four was when they stopped creating um, original characters for the what would be considered GI Joe line, right? Right. Um, a few years went by in, in ninety seven. They kind of came back with some repackaged older ones, but ninety four was the end of the line. After ninety four, uh, they did something called GI Joe Extreme. And that was in 95, and that was a low point for the name of G.I. Joe. Like, say what you will about the other characters, and whether they two Neon, two Ninja, two whatever. They did a show called G.I. Joe Extreme, and it is garbage. It, they threw out all the, the mythos. They threw out Cobra. They had a, something called Scar was were the bad guys. Um, they they st- G.I. Joe's still had similar names. There was a guy named Black Dragon who had blonde hair, so you're like, well, that's got to be Snake Eyes, but it wasn't Snake Eyes. There was a guy, Freight, who like, oh, well, he looks like Heavy Duty or Roadblock, but he wasn't Roadblock. Lieutenant, like, there were just 
there were it was bad it was bad so yeah i i would say gi joe extreme is is the lowest part of the gi joe history all right now explain those god-awful movies they made to me okay um they never happened and we're not okay. having this conversation well very good well <laughs> No, if, um, you know, here's the deal. okay. So here's the deal: the 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 two both movies have their own problem, their own different unique sets of problems. The first movie tried so hard to be to take itself seriously that it failed to have any fun, and that's the biggest problem with it. There, uh, they everyone dressed like Snake Eyes. Frankly, everyone was in black ninja outfits. That's no fun. Like you're supposed to d- tell everyone apart, right? Right. They all had these black Kevlar bodysuits on. Um, they at the end they forgot, frankly, that ice floats and they had ice collapsing underwater to crush a, a, a base, which is crazy. Um, they also got too confused or too fixated with like having to show the origins of Cobra and you know like just get to it, just have a Cobra adventure. So the and 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 they also fell into that screenwriting trap of everyone needs to know each like you need a they needed a private personal relationship so of course duke and baroness had to be ex-lovers and it just doesn't it just yeah all those things all those things went wrong there were some great action pieces in it i thought snake eyes was awesome i like scarlet a lot in it uh i didn't even mind the wayne's brother playing ripcord that was fine they missed some big opportunities when they showed the pit where like the J. Joe headquarters and they show that, that J. Joe's this big organization and there's all these dudes training and everything. It would have cost them a minimal amount of money to put all the guys in the background in the actual comic book toy outfits, you know, like to actually dress them up like they looked in the toys. So you had a guy, you could have had a guy run around like shipwreck, a guy run around in a football outfit like, like bazooka. So you could at least spot him and recognize him. Yes. Yes. So at least that, that would show the fans that A, they cared about you and B, that yeah, those guys wear those outfits in their off time, but okay, when they go into battle, yeah, they all dress like snake eyes because that makes more sense that they're wearing, you know, a black Kevlar outfit does make sense. And they didn't do that. They didn't do anything like that. Like, and it's just disappointing. Because it was would not be hard to do to just in while they're in the pit having them in their actual toy centric outfits would have been amazing. So there's that. Second movie has some really cool sequences, but is just a mess in the editing room. Like there are things that happen in that movie that for no good reason, like. Uh, Storm Shadow. There's a scene where he's talking to the rest of the, to the Joes and he says, I'm going to join you and help take down Cobra. And then they cut to the next scene and Storm Shadow is literally on the boat with Cobra Commander and the rest of the guys. And it's like, we didn't want to go back and reshoot it so that he's not on this boat because you shot that earlier. You know what I mean? So we'll like just pretend. Yeah. It's just, there's a lot that movie is. So if you look hard at it, it is such a piecemeal movie of storylines. It's got some good stuff the rock is great in it. Um, the fact that they added, they wanted to add more Channing Tatum. So the beginning, like they, they have these extended scenes of the rock and Channing Tatum talking just to get more Channing Tatum on the screen is so like in crazy insulting. It must be Magic Mike inspired, I have to assume. Oh, it was. No, it totally was, because Magic yeah. Mike had come out. It totally was. Yeah, Magic Mike had come out, and, and they were like, hey, we, we got him for this movie, but we're killing him off because we don't have him for the whole movie, but we can still squeeze more scenes out. Like, it's, it was, it's, yeah. It, oh, I, it's like when Tommy Wiseau shot those extra scenes in San Francisco. Which, by the way, I saw him once again. I saw Dude, him at, at are you office. his roommate now or I something? No, my wife's starting to get nervous. I'm yeah. like, about it. Maybe he wants to make a movie with you, Joe. He's like, oh Joe, I am the same age as you. I was born oh, near you were born, yeah. Joe. Uh, Joe, I'm younger than you. Oh, yeah. hi, Joe. Oh, hi, Joe. Joe, you're my favorite comic book salesman. Oh, oh, you sell my favorite comic book. Oh, oh, hi, Tommy. Yeah, oh, yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. Hang out by the post office on Pico and La Brea. Weird. Pico and La Brea. You're going to run into Tommy Wiseau. Man, that's just odd. Um. So, so like, I tried to watch the second G.I. Joe movie after many years before I tried to watch the first one, and it, <laughs> and it did not go well, right? Yeah. 
Now, Joe, a little something people got to know about me is that I nap on the weekends pretty, almost professionally. A hardcore um, napper. Yeah. The first thing people say when they talk about you. Jeremy yeah. Vilmer, napper. Yeah. He was the world champion in 1999. Uh, huh. He was stripped of the title in Rio de Janeiro, but we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> um, so I put it on on Netflix one day, and I, I lay down, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to watch me some G.I. Joe. And then I yeah. fell asleep, because that's what you do when you're nap watching. Yeah. Um, well, I wake up during a scene where some dude with a blindfold is like narrating a fight between two people. Yep. And I'm just like, what is this garbage? <laughs> what, Cause that who, was one of the worst scenes I had ever seen in my life. Right. So you know who the dude in the blindfold was? That was, um, it's one of the Wu-Tang clan. Um, who is it? It's not RZA. It's one of the Wu-Tang guys. Oh no. See, I didn't even, I didn't yeah. even pay enough attention to yeah, catch and that. I, and I'm sorry for uh, forgetting exactly which Wu-Tang he is, but he's one of the Wu-Tang club members. Oh, okay. See, now yeah. maybe I would have liked that scene a little bit more if I'd been paying attention then. Yeah. So he's a member of the Wu-Tang, but that's actually exactly indicative of what I'm talking about with that movie. They brought him in and he provides this narrative, this narration in order to smooth over the plot because they had shot these, and it's a great action scene where Jinx and Snake Eyes, they steal Storm Shadow's body. But it makes, there's no, like the story, there's just no reason for it. So they have to, they bring bring him in as the blind master to explain to us what exactly they're doing. It's so silly. It's so crazy. And that was the thing when I was watching, I was like, is he explaining to me what's going on? Yes. Yes, he was. They pulled me, like, I had already been napping, so I was already out of it. This actually pulled me into an astral projection where I was watching myself watching the movie going, <laughs> is he really explaining this to my body, which is now separate from my consciousness? Yes, he, he absolutely is. And, and it's to cover, um, it's to cover the, the filmmaking process. Like they, they didn't, they had pieces of, they had set pieces that they had filmed that didn't make narrative sense. Joe, so I'm going to, I'm going to say something and I, I need you to give me your honest opinion. Sure. Are there any good editors working in Hollywood these days? Well, honestly, whoever edited that movie is one. Because oh, really? They, okay. Yeah, because they made it watchable. I'm, I'm being dead serious. Ugh. Yeah. Um, Oof. One of my – it's my pet peeve. I think my wife is sick of me saying this, but I, I, I loved watching – I love seeing this. I don't love it because it's painful, but I love seeing the seams in movies and, like, seeing where, like, entire scenes have no real relation to the rest of it. They just added it to pad at something or other. Um, and that movie is a hundred, just completely full of these seams, but still for the most part, it makes sort of flow. Like it sort of flows and makes sort of sense. Well, I, maybe, maybe sort <laughs> that's, of, that's, that's yeah. what I want to go with there. Yeah. I mean, the fact that honestly it's, it's an exciting film. And it's fun to watch. I think that is a credit to the editing on that movie. I, for real, I really that's, do. Mean that. Yeah. That's too much. So I'm going to ask you, okay, I don't know if you paid attention to this, but are you aware of Action Force in the UK? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that is one of the most brilliant things, not that it exists in and of itself, but the simple fact that years later they went back and rewrote the entire storyline to make it match with mm-hmm. G.I. Joe America. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was, I mean, some of it was coming out concurrently. Yeah, it just, yeah. That it was, yeah, it was a way, it was a way, well, it was a smart way to sell. G.I. Joe internationally. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, uh, I just I, I actually just interviewed um, uh, a gentleman, uh, Steve Jubber, who is from the G.I. Joe Berg uh, podcast, and they are on um, uh, they're out of South Africa and, jo- and out of Johannesburg. And oh, that's um, a clever title. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's super nice, dude. Is we had a great conversation. His episode will air sometime in May, and um, uh. He he was reading Action Force in South Africa. So like Action Force, it was it was really the way to internationalize and sell these sell those comics to kids, you know, all over the world. And the toys, too. His toys were Action Force, too, because you couldn't really call it G.I. Joe, real American hero. Right. Because we look, we do kind of over national well we supernationalize our stuff i mean we just yeah. do um, our yeah. people are americans what 70 percent of americans don't have a passport uh we don't travel right. we don't get outside the country much and right. so we get kind of locked into our singular viewpoint but yeah. european countries and older countries do have to deal with a more international presence yeah yeah well i mean look at so look at um from that joe yojo website 
if you click on international figures, there's there's a couple hundred releases here. Brazil had a ton of G.I. Joes. Um, India, G.I. Joes were released in India. Argentina. Um, UK, Japan, Mexico. You know, like they were they were doing they were doing releases for these guys all over all over the world. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, Joe, we are running down on time here. Matter of fact, if this was a wrestling program, somebody would have grabbed a chair and uh, <laughs> ran under the ring. But um, so if people want to, I mean, obviously you do a way in-depth view of G.I. Joe the cartoon and the comic yeah. book. Um, so why don't you tell people again where they can find you at? Yeah, so find, well, you could find me on social media at Joe and Joe Pod, and that's on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And, um, you know, it's a it's a weekly podcast. We drop every Wednesday. So you find me on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you find your podcasts. Look for Joe and Joe and you will find me. Um, I also started a Patreon recently. So you go to patreon.com slash Joe and Joe pod. And that's where you can sign up to hear the Joe and Joe Illustrated, which is where we apply this kind of detail to every issue of the comic book. Um, and I'm personally like I'm I'm a comic book guy more than I am like an animation or a toy collecting guy. I've got 37,000 comic books and um, been reading them for, you know, for over 30 years. So I've got a whole lot of knowledge and we bring it to each and every page of G.I. Joe. It's crazy. Every page, not just, hey, this is a great issue and this is what happens. No, it's literally we look at every single page and break down the art style, you know, the coloring, the, you know, the inking, the, 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 the plot, all that stuff. It's great. That's awesome. Um yeah, so everybody get out there, check out Joe on Joe, and uh, Joe, I think they Joe now. I think, well, now you Joe, and Joeing is half the battle. Yeah, I love it when you say that. I have to set it up. <laughs> <laughs> this is great, Jeremy. Thank you so well, much. Well, thank you for doing this. Everybody else, you can catch us at geekishcast.com. I'm on Facebook at facebook.com slash geekishcast. I tweet from at the geekishcast. I am on Instagram, but you'll probably just see pictures of my trips my dogs my beer stuff like that joe thanks again for coming on thanks brother and everybody else bye bye